Have you ever had to play second fiddle to someone else? Have you ever kind of had to walk in someone else's shadow? Now, Leonard Bernstein, the famous orchestra conductor, was once asked what was the hardest instrument to play. Without hesitation, he replied, second fiddle. I can always get plenty of first violinists, but to find one who plays the second fiddle or the second French horn or the second flute, now that's a problem. It's difficult to play second fiddle. I was listening last week to the lieutenant governor's debate um, taking place in the U.S. Virgin Islands, and the incumbent who is running for re-election, the incumbent lieutenant governor, was asked um, the question how he and the incumbent governor would rule if they were, in fact, re-elected. And he responded this way. When it comes down to it, there is one governor. And why our relationship works is that his role requires a certain amount of humility in its approach to be the second in command. Now today, as we go through our text, Jesus will tell us something about what it means to play second fiddle. Our text is uh, Luke chapter 9, and we are reading from verse 23 to verse 27. And he, Jesus, said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words... Of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. I want us, first of all, to notice that following Jesus is initiated by a divine proposition. In other words, God gives or Jesus gives us a proposition and then we follow him. Following Jesus is initiated by a divine proposition. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And so Jesus issues a challenge or a proposition. And that proposition is open to all, to anyone. Here is the proposition. Come after me. That is the proposition. If anyone would come after me. Essentially, it means leave where you are. Come where I am leading you. Do life on my terms, not on yours. Live as I live. Emulate 
my example, of course, Jesus is, is the one saying these, not me. Love what I love. Hate what I hate. Value the things that I value and shun the things that I shun. That is what it means to follow Jesus. That was his proposition. Come after me. I want to suggest to us this morning that following Jesus is not a nice walk in the park. We enjoy those nice walks in the park. It is not even a beautiful day on the beach. And I love beautiful days on the beach. I miss those days on the beach. Miss them. But following Jesus is not like that. Following Jesus is not some transactional arrangement that you make with him. Lord Jesus, if you do this for me, then I will follow you. It's not a transaction that you make at all. Following Jesus is something that he tells you to do, rather than you telling him what you want him to do. Let us notice again that Jesus' proposition is to come after me. And that proposition comes with three commands that I want us to pay attention to this morning. Now, these three commands can either be obeyed or disobeyed, but there will be consequences for each, depending on what choice and response you make. If you obey, there are consequences. If you disobey, there are consequences. First, you must deny yourself. That's what Jesus says. Literally, you must say no to yourself. Say no to your flesh. Now, the first thing that you become aware of when you start following Jesus is that there is this fierce battle inside of you between what you want and what Jesus wants. Has ever, anybody ever discovered that, that battle going on? Oh, yeah. First thing you realize, that there is a struggle inside you between what you want and what Jesus wants. First, you must learn how to deny your flesh, how to say no to it. But I have discovered, and I'm sure that you have discovered as well, that the flesh does not take no for an answer. You've realized that? <laughs> it does not. In fact, well, let me rephrase it. It does not initially take no for an answer. You only overcome your flesh through continually saying no to it through the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the only way that you overcome it. Now, here are four ways that the Bible says that you can have victory over your flesh. These are all biblical. They're not, these are not made up. In fact, I will give you the text after each one. Confess, this is the first one, confess who you are in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17 says, um, I am a new creature in Christ. Confess that. Whenever your flesh tries to tell you otherwise, you confess, I am a new creature in Christ. Secondly, prayerfully rely on God's power, not on your own. This is what God himself said to the apostle Paul in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9. But he said to me, Paul himself saying these words, but he, meaning God, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect 
in your weakness. So we need to learn how to prayerfully rely on God's power. Thirdly, walk by the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16 says this, but I say, Paul, in, in fact, addressing the Galatian church, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And fourthly, live as Jesus lived. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6 says this, whoever says he abides in him, meaning Jesus, ought to walk in the same way in which Jesus walked. So these are four ways in which you overcome the flesh. And so let us go back to the phrase, deny yourself. Let him deny himself, Jesus says. Now, I don't necessarily need to do a Greek class on this, but as you look at that in the Greek, you notice that the verb is written in the aorist tense. And the aorist tense communicates some action that you did in the past that has continuing results in the future. It impacts, it impacts I'm sorry, uh, what you do in the present. And so I think what Jesus is saying here is, when you decided to follow me, you made a decision in the past that affects how you live in the present. You made the decision to put what Jesus wants above what your flesh wants. And that decision continues to affect how you live in the present. And how you live in the present is that you continue to prioritize what Jesus wants over what you want, what your flesh wants. In other words, Jesus' agenda for your life takes precedence over your agenda for your life. That is what it means to follow Jesus, to deny yourself. Now, Charles Finney illustrates denial of the flesh in this way. I'm going to read a paragraph um, quoting from him. Here is a man who has been to the baker's and purchased a loaf of bread for his supper. He has been laboring hard and really needs the bread. But in passing a miserable habitation of poverty, a little pale emaciated child stands at the door and stretching out its little beggar hands, asks for bread. He is induced to enter this abode of wretchedness and finds a widowed mother sick and famishing, surrounded by her starving babies. He is hungry himself, but they are starving. He has no more money. If he gives his bread, he must retire without his supper. If he gives all that he has, it will, I'm sorry, if he has, I'm sorry, if he gives all that he has, it will afford but a scarcity patience to this starving family. But he gives it instantly. He gives it joyfully and absolutely retires to bed without his supper. With tears of joy and gratitude that by denying himself, he has been able to keep a fatherless family from absolute starvation. This, he says, is self-denial. So that's the first thing. Jesus says that following him entails, you must deny yourself. Secondly, if you would come after Jesus, you must take up your cross daily. Now that too 
is in the A.R.S. tense, which means that you decided in the past when you accepted Jesus to take up your cross daily, and it must impact how you live your life from now on. It must be something that you daily do in the present. You must, Jesus says, continue to take up your cross and follow me. You, my dear brothers and sisters, you have a cross to carry. And I want to suggest to us this morning that your cross is not what some people like to think that carrying a cross entails. Your cross is not God punishing you for some mistake that you made in the past and you have to, to bear this punishment for the rest of your life. That is not what Jesus meant at all when he says that you must carry your cross. When Jesus said, let him take up his cross, the people that he was speaking to in the first century, in first century um, Palestine, they knew exactly what he meant because they had seen scores of criminals carrying their crosses up to the very hill upon which they would in fact be crucified. So to carry a cross is to literally lose your life in the service of Jesus Christ. Can I say that again? To follow Jesus and to carry a cross is to literally lose your life for his sake and for the gospel's sake. Now, if you ever wonder if you're ready to take up your cross, consider these questions that I'm now going to ask you. First of which is this. Are you prepared, if need be, to lose your closest friends? Think very carefully now. Now, we have some close friends. How many of you have close friends? We, do, we all do, all right? Sometimes following Jesus puts you at odds with your closest friends. Are you prepared to lose a friendship over following Jesus? Secondly, are you willing, if need be, to face alienation from your family? Now, that's where it gets very close now. Because, you see, sometimes your decision to follow Jesus puts you at odds with people in your family, your own flesh and blood. I know that that is the case with me. Are you prepared to lose your family, to face alienation from them? Are you willing to lose your reputation, to have people think differently of you than you think of yourself? Are you prepared, if need be, for the, possibi for the possibility of losing your job? Because sometimes following Jesus goes contrary to the principles of the job that you have? Are you prepared for the possibility of losing your very life for the sake of following Jesus? So that's the second thing that following Jesus entails, losing your life for the sake of the gospel and for Jesus' sake. Thirdly, this is the third verb that we're, con we're considering. If you would come after me, Jesus says, you must follow me. Coming after Jesus means following him. Now this time, the verse is written in the present continuous tense. Now remember the, the first two that we looked at? They were written in the aorist tense or in the past tense that has a present result. This time, this verb is written in the present continuous tense, which means continued activity. 
in the present. You need to continue doing this. In other words, let him continue to follow me in the present. This is what Jesus is saying. Even if the cross that you're carrying gets too heavy to bear, because it very well might. Even if following me gets too difficult, because it probably will. Even if others stop following me, because they probably will. Even if you can't figure out where I am leading you, because there are times when you can't understand why Jesus wants you to go here and not there. You can't figure out where he's leading you. Even if where I am leading you is not where you want to go. Let him continue following me. So following Jesus, first of all, is initiated by a divine proposition. Follow me. Secondly, follow Jesus, following Jesus is clarified by a divine explanation. In other words, Jesus is going to clearly explain to us what following him means. For whoever would save his life, he says, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits his soul, himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Now, there are two ironies in this explanation that Jesus gives. I want us to note these ironies. The first is the irony of saving and losing. All of us, I'm sure, are familiar with the principle of saving and losing. It perhaps began with a piggy bank, right? Your parents gave you a little piggy bank or whatever, you put your pennies and stuff in, and then later on, um, maybe you opened a little bank account as my one of my oldest, my oldest brother actually did for me when I was like, I think maybe about nine or ten years old. He actually opened a bank account for me and he put $200 in it. And I felt rich as a nine-year-old. I had money. All right? And then later on, we would learn about investing. And we'd learn that um, our investing would pay dividends. We'd get money back. We'd get interest back. Now, what is true of financial savings is also true of our lives. You can save your life, meaning that you withhold it from the service of Jesus Christ and others, or you can lose your life in the sense that you give it away in serving others and serving Christ. And so if, you approach, if your approach to life was to try to save your life, Jesus says that you will lose it. You will discover when you come to the end of life that, in fact, you have nothing to show for your life because you have saved it here rather than invested it. And there's, no, there's nothing that you can show at the end of it. You will have profited or gained nothing. Your account will come up empty before the one to whom all of us will give account for how we have lived. However, if your approach to life was giving your life away in the service of Christ, investing it in the kingdom, Jesus says that at the end, you will have something to show for it. Because in fact, you will gain, you will have gained eternal life. That's the first irony, the irony of saving and losing. 
There's a second irony in what Jesus says, and that is the irony of shame and glory. Now, the people that lived in Jesus' day, they lived in what we call an honor-shame culture. It is, and this, and this honor-shame culture was characterized, as all honor-shame cultures are, by five basic rules. First of which is this, you never dishonor your family. Never bring shame to your family. It is loyalty to your family at all costs. So whatever you do, make sure you do not dishonor or shame your family. That was very true of ancient Near Eastern cultures. It's still true of some cultures like, you know, in, the, in East Indian cultures, Asian cultures, and so on. It is loyalty to your family at all costs. Secondly, your reputation is your most important asset. Safeguard your reputation. That is why things like pregnancy out of wedlock and all those kind of things are a big issue in those, in those kinds of cultures because your reputation is important. Your purity is important. Thirdly, defend your honor at all costs. Fourthly, your word is your bond. Don't, don't backtrack on your promise. Keep your word. And fifthly, hospitality is key. If anybody new comes into your neighborhood, make sure that you show them hospitality. So everybody who was listening to Jesus knew what he meant when he was talking about honor and shame. Jesus was explaining, talking about himself now, that to honor him was to not be ashamed of him. If you are ashamed of Jesus and his words, he is going to be ashamed of you. So Jesus says, if you are ashamed of me and of my words, if you are ashamed to identify with me and the cross that I bore, if you are ashamed to live your life according to my words, you will find that when you stand before me, when the Heavenly Father, when Jesus comes in his own glory and the glory of his Father and in the glory of his holy angels, you will find that he will be ashamed of you as well. But if you honor me with your life, Jesus says, if you are not ashamed to associate and identify with me, if you give your life for my service and for the gospel and for the service of others, you will find that when I come in my glory and the glory of the Heavenly Father and the glory of all the angels with me, you will find that you will be honored. And you will be honored in the sense that you will have gained eternal life. How many of you are prepared to lose your life? When I'm, when I'm talking about losing your life, I'm not necessarily talking about being killed, although that can possibly happen. I'm talking about just giving yourself away to God and say, God, here I am. I want to serve you. I want to serve you. I want my hands to be used in serving you. I want my feet to be used in following you. I want my heart to be involved in loving you and loving others. I want to give myself away like that. Because to lose my life will be to gain eternal life in the end when Jesus comes back. Here's our third and final point this morning. Following Jesus will culminate with a divine remuneration. That's just a big word for reward. Jesus says, but I tell you, truly, 
there are some there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. I want us to note three things in passing from what Jesus says here. The first of which is this, anyone who follows Jesus will be rewarded. Take that to the bank, if you will. Anyone who follows Jesus will be rewarded. I believe that this is the greatest hope of the Christian. The greatest hope that we have who are following Jesus. We are not serving God for nothing. I deliberately use those two negatives. We're not serving God for nothing. We are going to be rewarded. We will one day not only see the kingdom of God, but we will enter it. We will enjoy it for the rest of our lives. That is the hope of our reward. If you follow Jesus, you will be rewarded. That's the first thing. Secondly, only some will see the kingdom of God. Jesus himself says it. He says, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now, I want us to note, first of all, that Jesus is here referring to three people, Peter, James, and John. You have to look at the context here. He's talking about the fact that these three disciples would later see him on the Mount of Transfiguration. They will see him in all of his glory, and they will hear God the Father thundering from heaven and saying, this is my beloved son whom I love. Listen to him. So he's talking immediately to these three people. But he's also talking to the reality that only some people on the face of the earth who will in fact see the kingdom of God. And I believe that when we hear him say that, when we hear Jesus say that only some people will see it, the question that we must ask ourselves, all of us, is, am I included in the sum? Does that include me? Here's the third thing that I want us to note about what Jesus says. Death will not rob us of the kingdom of God. It will usher us into it, but it won't rob us of it. Because the Apostle Paul says that to be absent from the body, which means to die, is to be present with the Lord. And as we sang this morning, and Rhonda didn't even know that these were in my notes. Even so, Lord Jesus, come. I didn't know that way saying that. All right? Even so, Lord Jesus, come. Because death cannot separate us from the kingdom of God. Here's the bottom line of our message this morning. Following Jesus is a calling and a privilege. It is a calling. Jesus has called us to follow him. And it is a privilege. We get to follow Jesus. Four application points. To follow Jesus, you must leave something behind. I'm going to share with you a list of possible things that God might be asking you to leave. To leave behind so that you might either follow him or follow him better. As I read through this list, I'm going to ask you to prayerfully and honestly ask yourself, Allow yourself to identify the specific ones on this list that apply to you. Maybe God is calling you to leave yesterday behind. I don't know what yesterday means. 
except that it was yesterday. And maybe something happened yesterday that you need to leave behind to follow him. Maybe a past failure. Maybe a painful experience. Maybe your family of origin. And I'm very careful how I say this because I don't think Jesus will ever call you to uh, forsake your family of origin. Your, well, I'm sorry, your immediate family. He will never, I don't think he will call you to leave your children. He certainly won't call you to leave your husband or your wife. <laughs> wow, I thought for a minute that maybe I was not preaching right this morning. I don't believe that God would call you to leave your husband or wife, all right, or your children, or neglect them in that sense. Um, there might be extenuating circumstances. I'm very careful how I say this because I don't want to be misquoted. I don't want this to be misapplied. But he very well might call you to leave or to put some distance between you and your family of origin. Because the Bible says that I came not necessarily to bring peace on earth, but to separate. Well, anyway, let's not go into all of that. But he may very well call you to leave your family of origin. What about your circle of friends? He may call you to leave that. How about your career? Maybe your future plans. I firmly believe this with all my heart. God will never ask you to leave something without replacing it with something better. That has been my experience. I believe that's what God's word teaches. I just want to ask you this morning, I, I just wasn't about going through a list. I really want you to, to honestly apply, to see what things on that list apply to you. What might Jesus be asking you to leave behind in order to follow him or to follow him better. And then for some accountability, write it down and then maybe share that with somebody so that they can hold you accountable for that. Secondly, to follow Jesus, you must deny yourself. Again, I'm going to share a list with you and I'm going to ask you to listen for what things on this list specifically applies to you. And I want you to identify those, those things. That Jesus might, in fact, be asking you to deny yourself of. How about a relationship with somebody who is not a Christian? How about overtime work that will mean you having less time to give to God? Not that anything is wrong with overtime work. But if overtime work means that it gives you less time to give to God and to his service, maybe you need to reconsider that. How about a new opportunity that just dropped into your lap, but you know that it will cost you in the future? Do you go ahead and take it, or do you deny yourself of it? How about desire for revenge on somebody who did you wrong? How about an invitation to do something that you know God has already said no about? Did I share anything this morning that applies to you specifically? Thirdly, to follow Jesus, you must take up your cross daily. Now, I see this as a call to full surrender to Jesus, to surrender yourself fully to him. Because you see, 
we're very good at saying, Lord Jesus, you can have this part of me, but not this part over here. I can give you this, but I can't give you that. I can only give you so much of my life. I can't give all of it to you. But Jesus wants all of you or none of you. To daily live your life as Jesus would. That's what surrendering means. That's what denying yourself means. To sacrifice daily for others. To love others as Jesus loves. To break away from sin. To spend quality time with God in prayer and in the word. To do things, to do these things is to die to yourself and to take on your new identity, the identity of Jesus Christ himself. That's what it means to deny yourself and take up your cross daily. Fourthly and finally, to follow Jesus, you must keep an eye on the eternal prize. I don't know about you, but I sense that these times are times of distraction. You feel that way? So many things, so many things that cause us to take our eyes off Jesus. Jesus assures us in his word that there's a reward that is laid up for us, for those of us who follow him. There's a reward laid up for us in heaven if we follow him and if we are faithful to the end. I believe that if we are faithful in serving Jesus, one of these days we will hear his own words to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. But you see, only those of us who are watching, only those of us who are waiting and who are faithful and who persevere to the end will in fact win the prize. I want to challenge us this morning to let us keep our eye on the prize and not get ourselves distracted by the economy or politics, by success or failure, by temptation or the devil's schemes. Let us press on, as Paul says, toward the prize for which God has called us heavenward. I end with those words. Let us pray together. Almighty God, following you is an awesome thing. It is a radical thing. It's a revolutionary thing even. And Lord, you've called us to follow you. And God, we don't always understand what that means. We're not always willing to follow where you're leading I pray, God, that after today, we would indeed become better at doing so. Help us, Lord God, to be willing to lose our lives in your service, knowing that serving you and following you comes with an eternal reward. Help us, Lord God, to be faithful. Give us the grace and the power to overcome our flesh, lest it causes us to lose our soul. Pray your blessings upon your people today. In Jesus' name, amen.